Hello and welcome. My name is Liva Bonnevi and this is episode 31 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. Today I have invited doctor in veterinarian medicine, Philippe Breganza. He has a PhD in biomechanics and he is an assistant professor at the Utrecht University in the Netherlands. We are going to talk about the Swedish app Slipe and we are going to talk about Philip's field of expertise, biomechanics, which is the science of movement of the living body, including how muscles, bones, tendons and ligaments work together in order to move the body of the horse. Enjoy. Okay, uh, Philippe, uh, welcome to uh, to my studio. It's um, very nice to see you again after the orthopedics day we had at NMBU. That's when we we yeah, met the first time, and uh, you kind of mentioned, like uh, you know, in between the sentences, uh, that you have a PhD in biomechanics, um, yeah. and you were there also to talk about the the Slipe app, the Swedish app, and um, yeah, then I thought I have to talk to this guy. So, so, uh, and also, you know, with a focus on lameness, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. picturing this is going to be an interesting, interesting talk for my listeners. I hope so, and uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Lev, for uh, for having me. I mean, it it was indeed a really nice meeting, uh, but also nice to see that there was so much interest uh, in in this research, and of course, doing a PhD on that topic. I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but uh, yeah, this is uh, this is what I love to do. So, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Should we Thanks. should we start really at the uh, you know the basic level, biomechanics? Yes. If I'm a rider, then what would be very important for me to know when it comes to equine biomechanics? I think the most important thing to realize is it is extremely complex, and it really is an extremely complex puzzle, which is extremely interconnected, and that makes the study of biomechanics, at least for me, extremely interesting. Um, because it's not just like studying a pendulum. I mean, you can you can very easily uh, take a piece of paper, and uh, when you when you study physics, um, you r- r- learn okay how do you how do you uh, model the movement of a pendulum? And I mean that's that's pretty straightforward for someone who's uh, who studied physics. I mean, you need to know the length of the the, the pendulum, the weight, uh, its initial position, and you can actually predict its movements based on that. But animal or human biomechanics, it it becomes extremely complex because we have so many different joints, we have so many different muscles, we have so many different ligaments, and it's extremely complex to the point that I can really say that we still don't have the whole picture of how a horse moves. And especially when we put a rider on top of it, that makes it even more complex. So I think for me, the most important thing to realize is it is really difficult and it really is complex and we still don't know everything about it. And I think that's a very good point to start because I also see it, some people might see it as, as a negative thing. Okay, we don't know yet everything, that's bad. I see it as an opportunity because I think there's just so much to do. There are so many opportunities because it's still, it's uncharted territory. And as a scientist, which is uh, and, and a researcher, that's what I really like to do, to, to really get to the border of, okay, what is the knowledge? What do we know? And try to look a little bit over the border and find out, okay, there's something there that we still don't know enough about it. And that's what we've been doing now, for example, with lameness, which has been a big focus of our research for the next eight years where, where I'm working. And some, some very interesting things have been happening in the last couple of years. 
you talk about it as like uncharted territory. So that makes you kind of like an explorer. Yeah, and, and it really is. Um, and the funny thing about science is it becomes, uh, it feeds on itself. And uh, I always have this comment from, uh, from our colleagues who are doing PhDs. So uh, where I'm working at the University of Utrecht, um, we either have PhD students who are, you know, 100% focused on research. And we also have clinicians who are surgeons, uh, horse surgeons, who are combining clinical work with, with research. And it's funny because all of them have this feeling as soon as they get closer to the end of their PhD, they say to me, you know, Philip, I, I think we, we were able to answer a few questions, but we raised so many more new questions. And that's the funny thing about science. And that's just, I think it, that's the reason why science is still here. And it's the realization that, yes, we might be able to answer one or two questions, but in that process, we realize that a long way, there's still so many things we don't know. And we started writing down a few more questions for the future. And I mean, we could do this forever, basically. I'm, I'm feeling curious about how this all started for you with equine biomechanics? Why, why was that, you know, your main focus point? Yeah, um, I mean, from very young age, I was always very interested in how things work. Um, that was a, a little bit my passion as a kid. It was funny because every time I would get a, a gift, a toy, the first thing I would ask my parents was a screwdriver. I wanted to open it, put it into pieces, find out how it works. And uh, often enough, I wouldn't be able to put it back together, but that's fine, you, you learn. And so there's always been some curiosity with me with an almost certain obsession of how things work. Um, and that evolved to uh, when I was uh, um, getting to the point of uh, going to university, I was very interested in computers and, and, and electronics. So I actually adventured a little bit into electronics and computer engineering uh, for a couple of years. Um, but I still had a huge passion for horses. I was a horse rider. And at that moment, I felt a little bit um, I started missing the horses and, and riding. So I, I took a step back and I went to veterinary medicine, which, which I loved and um, I graduated it from. And then I got into my internship uh, where I moved to, to the UK. Um, and during my internship, I started to get accustomed to one of the main issues with patients, which is lameness. I mean, it still is the main reason for consultation worldwide um, is lameness or poor performance. And most of the horses who come to us with a, just a, a, he's just, he's, there's just something wrong or he just doesn't want, most of those cases, there's a lameness involved. And the, the more I started looking at lame horses with my uh, supervisor at the time, a huge uh, disagreement started to grow inside of me because I was just not able to see what I was being told to see. We were all together looking at horses, at lame horses and doing uh, lameness examinations. And I was just feeling very, um, I was just not able to, to see these things that I was told that I was supposed to be able to see. And that raised the question to me, and especially with my knowledge of electronics and engineering, I was wondering, is either there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with this process? And I started doing some research and reading some, some papers at the time. Uh, there's already some research being done in this in terms of uh, rater agreement. So if you get a couple of vets looking at a lame horse, do they agree with each other? And I realized, no, I'm not the first one. So there's a problem here. And I started to get interested into biomechanics because I realized, well, we can study these movements. So if a horse is lame, 
what we see as a lameness or what the rider feels as a lameness is a change in the movement, is a, a change in its normal pattern. And this is what biomechanics is, is, is doing, is measuring. And at the time, I, I, I started really gaining interest into, into biomechanics. And um, luckily enough, a position uh, opened at the University in Utrecht. Um, and we decided to move to the Netherlands. And I've, I've since then, I've been doing my PhD in biomechanics, where I already finished. Uh, and since then, I've been doing a lot of research, mainly focused on, on how to use biomechanical principles to objectify, to quantify lameness. So to take this subjectivity, this bias that we have as humans, um, taking that out of the equation with the, 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 the big principle or the big idea that I mean, if we cannot as veterinarians still agree in, on which leg the horse is lame, or even if the horse is lame or not, everything we're doing from a scientific point of view, it, it's, it's just not perfect enough. So we needed to improve that. And that's what took me to, to starting this, uh, this research into biomechanics. And I think we've done quite a lot of interesting things in the last couple of years. It's interesting that you say that veterinarians can stand and watch a horse and, and uh, you know, have a debate whether it's lame or not, because as riders <laughs> you have to kind of you know go a few steps down the stairs and and uh, yeah we have the same discussions so yeah. what what have you guys been up to to help us uh, get a more objective and uh, scientific you know perspective on lameness so um i i always say that um of course i'm standing here now today but i'm i'm, I'm standing on giants and i mean there's been a huge uh, researchers which i call these giants that have been uh, started this this research already 20 25 years ago and it goes back to people like florian buchner who was a phd also here in utrecht uh, from the university of vienna he actually did some of the first work on on, on that uh, and then uh, one of the very famous uh, researchers on this field professor kevin keegan uh, who was one of the developers of the lameness locator system also did quite a lot of research on that and they actually realized that we can actually quantify lameness and back then uh, it was pretty obvious it was working, but the technology was just not ready yet. I mean, horses were on the treadmill, horses had these sensors with cables. It was just not practical. So one of the points there... So Sorry, uh, when you, know, you say quantify... To measure, that you can measure lameness. So you can put a number and you can say this horse is lame on this leg and you can actually measure it with an instrument. So you can actually quantify that, that, that lameness. So they, they found out the biomechanical principles that, okay, we can measure this, but they were stuck. And there were basically two things uh, in the way of those researchers back then. One was technology, which we all know where we are today. So that's, that's fixed. Um, but there was another huge barrier. And that was um, the community, the veterinarian community. And that has been the first fight that we had to start uh, fighting uh, when we started this research. It's because... Uh, a lot of the veterinarians would still not agree that you could uh, measure or quantify lameness. Um, there was still an idea that uh, lameness assessment is an art and you know only some people are able to do it. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of uh, veterinarians were thought that at school years ago, which is, is, is uh, it's, it's false, it's completely false. It's not an art, it's, it's science. And of course, there is a lot of training involved. And of course, you can't expect a new graduate who just, you know, just fresh out of vet school, of course, is not going to be as good as someone who's been doing this for 30 years. Of course, there's a learning curve, um, but it's not an art. We shouldn't call it an art. It's, it's science. 
and you can get good at it. So that was the first barrier that we had to break because a lot of uh, veterinarians were against, really against it. And they were claiming, you know, over-reliance on technology, you know, that, you know, in a few years, veterinarians wouldn't even be looking at horses anymore. Uh, we would just be high, sitting behind computers. Um, so it took us a while to really uh, get the research through step-by-step, study-by-study. And this is where a lot of the research done by our colleagues at SLU uh, has really played a big role there. For example, looking at how many lame horses are uh, in the world population of horses and how we can actually measure it. Uh, looking at this observer agreement. So they've done quite a lot of studies into, okay, I get the 10 best vets in the world and I ask them to look at horses, at lame horses. Do they agree with each other? Uh, do they agree better if it's a front limb or a hind limb lameness? Do they agree better or worse if it's a subtle lameness or a severe lameness? And so step by step, getting this research out, we as a community were able to, to really allow this biomechanic research to penetrate the um, equine practice workflow. Um, that was one of the steps. And, and funny enough, at the same time, technology was, was also getting to pace. So uh, where we used to have these huge cameras, all these cables and horses having to be trained on a treadmill, uh, all of a sudden we have these uh, sensors, these IMU sensors that we can now just, you know, put a sensor on the horse. It has a battery. It's wireless. Uh, this is the principle behind the lameness locator. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, video uh, technology like the, the, the technology de developed in Sweden from, from uh, Qualysis, uh, started to become also more flexible. It was not so much influenced by sunlight. Um, uh, the, the price of the equipment started to go down. So step-by-step, step, the technology started to get to that point where now we get to a point where some of those arguments that it's not practical, you know, those arguments are not valid anymore. And then all of a sudden, uh, Slape uh, also appeared where now you can just take your smartphone out of your pocket. You can point it to a horse and you can do a lameness examination. And for me, I really called uh, SLAPE at the moment a disruptive technology because disruptive in this disruptive in a sense that to this point at or from this point on, there is no excuse anymore not to measure lameness because it's so practical, it's scientifically proven, it's validated. There really is not an excuse anymore not to do it. And this is where we are today. So really the community now has, or the veterinarian community has realized that this is really a big part of what we do. Um, we need to do a better work if we want to move forward. Um, but also it started to uh, enter different areas of the discussion like animal welfare. Uh, we need to monitor these horses. How can we monitor these horses with a simple technology. Well, things like slave, well, an owner can now make a recording and send it to the veterinarian. So the horse can be monitored from, from a distance. It's telemedicine. So really it, it got us to the point where we are now that really there is no excuse anymore not to do a, a lameness examination or try to measure lameness without this kind of technology. And this is this is where we are now. And this is also why I think it's it's a really nice place to be in time because this also opens so many doors, but also opens so many questions because now we're measuring thousands of horses, hundreds of horses a day. We're getting all this data and the opportunity, I mean, there's so much we can do with it. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable. And of course we had also this discussion in the beginning where people said, yeah, you're just gonna replace a vet with an AI. 
I really do not believe that. And of course, also knowing the, the limitations and where we are in terms of AI, we're still in the embryonic phases of AI. I mean, it's it's uh, it's still early early days. But of course, there are a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that it will it will hopefully it will change. And I really see it as um, as a way to improve what we're doing because, in a way, you're absolutely right that uh, and that's something I said a few minutes ago that, of course, you know, a new graduate veterinarian he will need to learn, he will need to see many cases in order to learn how to look at lameness. Because basically look at lame, looking at lame horses is pattern recognition. It's just looking at how this horse is supposed to move and how is this movement different from what I would think it would be the normal movement of this horse. And based on that, trying to decide where is the horse lame. So this really is pattern recognition. And this is something, of course, the only way for a human to learn this is to really to practice and to see a lot, which means that we would have to see hundreds and hundreds of lame hearts. And this has been the process for, for many years before we were able to measure lameness. That's why we had these, we, we used to call them these uh, lameness gurus, uh, you know, very well-known veterinarians, which we, we have a tremendous respect for because they've spent 30, 30 odd years uh, looking at lame horse and they become really, really good at the thing what we're doing now is we have these huge databases of these same lame horses, and we can now train a model within hours inside a, a supercomputer to see these patterns and to recognize these patterns and to be able to measure the same things or to quantify what, what we were before trying to do with our eyes. And we can do this just a lot better with, with technology. So this learning process, uh, instead of having to, you know, taking 30 years to become a good uh, veterinarian to, you know, to detect lameness, we can now shorten that time to just a couple of months because using this technology really, uh, it, it really is a, a way to improve the accuracy of what we're doing. And we're also learning with the system. That's actually one of the first things I realized when we first installed our first gait analysis system. This was, this was the QHOR system from, from uh, Qualysis in Sweden. Um, and it really, made me look at horses better because I would measure a horse. I would look at the screen. So oh, this doesn't make sense. Did I miss something? Just trot the horse once more. Yes, I did miss something. So it really makes this also our subjective way of looking. So the old way of looking at lameness becomes better because we get immediate feedback from these systems uh, where before we didn't get any feedback. The only feedback would be perhaps in three or six weeks when we realize that the horse just didn't get better. Just because we 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 didn't we were able to see what we were uh, we thought we were able to see a couple of weeks ago, so in that sense, I really think uh, this technology can shorten this time that it takes to learn or to become good at uh, looking at lameness, and I really think that AI will 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 play even a bigger role uh, in this in the upcoming years because as I said, we are just now having these huge uh, databases with more and more cases of lameness. Um, and eventually we will not only be able to see uh, or to say, is this horse lame or not? Well, we are already now one step further because now we can even say on which leg this horse is lame. Um, is it a front or a hind limb lameness? And my guess is that in the near future, we will also be able to say where in that leg that horse is lame based on these patterns. And that will really be a step forward in what we're doing. So we're shortening what, because a lameness examination can, you know, it can take somewhere between an hour and two or three days. 
And hopefully in the future, we can really reduce this time to just a couple of minutes with a few measurements, we are able to diagnose the horse. So this is really where I think we will be in a couple of years, but perhaps I'm just being too optimistic. You should be optimistic. That's, I think, yeah, it's a good yeah. quality. But uh, yeah, but also, you know, in a country like Norway, it's a very long country and, and there are horses, you know, all over the place. And sometimes maybe you have a horse at a stable where it takes two to three hours to get the vet even to come there. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe you don't really even have internet for real. So we have kind of, you know, really, you have to get to the top of the mountain and, and download the app and go down and, and film your horse and go up to the mountain and send it. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it seems like a very good opportunity to kind of broaden veterinary medicine and make it yeah. more accessible to people who would otherwise maybe not even call the vet in the first place. Yeah, and I really think that... Uh developments like SLAPE uh, really taking that step into what we call telemedicine. So re being able to reach out uh, further, but also, um, as I said uh, a little bit earlier, uh, the, the, the whole discussion on you know, animal welfare and being able to monitor these horses, because I really think that uh, we will soon get to the point that we need to somehow monitor horses um, a little bit more often because what happens now talking for example i'm not even talking about olympic top sports i'm any kind of uh, equestrian sports when you go to a competition most often the horse are checked by a vet and they're probably checked a few months later on the next competition so what happened here in between these months we don't know sometimes these horses are checked once a year sometimes even every two or three years um so would be really nice to, and I think in the future will be necessary that we have better records of how these horses are moving because what we're doing is also quantifying welfare because we know lameness is one, it's not the only, but is one of the big welfare problems. So if a horse has pain, if a horse is lame, this really is a welfare problem. So if we're able to somehow have a passport where we can show, you know, this horse for all his career has never been lame or yes, he was lame, but he was treated and see, he got better. I really think having these records is going to be a big part of um, this discussion. And this is one of the things that I talked when we were um, at university uh, a couple of months ago, um, really asking the question of, I, if, if we don't, I think that if we don't change something, uh, we will be in trouble very, very quickly um, in a way that, the, the, the discussion at the moment in terms of animal welfare, what we're doing as riders, what we're doing as veterinarians, it's still very much based on emotions and feelings. And I understand that emotions and feelings play a big role in the equestrian industry, of course. We're all passionate about horses. Of course, emotions play a big role there. Um, but when it comes to having a discussion regarding um, the welfare of, of our horses and uh, how fit are they to compete because they are athletes. I mean, we're using horses for sport. They are, they are, at, they need to perform. And of course they have to perform in a way that um, they're, uh, they're not lame and they're not in pain. Uh, and we should be able to have a discussion, an objective discussion about it. And at the moment, the whole discussion in terms of uh, welfare of horses, the usage of horses in certain sports, it's still very based on emotions and feelings about what I've, feel about my horse or what I think my horse feels, but they cannot talk. So in a way, these technologies are able to give them a voice because we can really measure something out of these horses that will tell us, no, this horse is not in pain. This horse is fit to compete. 
this horse has in terms of welfare there's there's absolutely spot on what we can do about this horse this horse can compete on this day and on this day because this horse has the uh, acceptable level of fitness um, to be here today and i really think this is where we will be heading in the coming years this is really interesting because Sometimes it can be, I mean, the sports community with horses is not huge in Norway, for example. So the veterinarian mm -hmm. that's going to tell you whether you can start the competition or the race or not, is probably going to be a guy that you somehow know. Uh, you know, it's that small. So if you have AI, then you, uh, you don't have to have that personal uh, art part of the deal where you know he's kind of feeling that the horse is is not lame it's going to be objectively said that this horse is lame and uh, exactly that would make it i think a lot easier to yeah. to sort out in in advance of a race or a competition this horse is competing and this horse is not so so exactly. that is, i think that's that would be a huge advantage and also i really like the idea that you talk about with the passport because then you can say that if the horse hasn't been free of lameness for the last so and so long period you're not allowed to start exactly exactly and one of the points that you are um uh, saying uh, re regarding the art and uh, regarding this this human touch let's put it like that to the lameness examination we call part of it it's a bias uh, and there's actually been some research done into this uh, even for the veterinarian so we do know that um, bias uh, there are some biases in the process of doing a lameness examination. There's a very interesting study done uh, in the UK a couple of years ago. Uh, and what they did is, um, so normally if I have a lame horse and I need to uh, diagnose this horse, what we do is what we call nerve blocks or diagnostic analgesia. So what I do is I found out this horse is lame, let's say left front, and going from uh, bottom to top of the leg, we start putting uh, nerve blocks uh, to this horse first on the hoof, then on the fetlock, then uh, on the tendons. And once this lameness disappears, we know that, okay, between my previous block and the last block, this is where the problem is located. Let's do uh, imaging, x-rays, ultrasounds, whatever. So this is the, the process that we have today for diagnosing lameness in horses. Um, so what they've done is they've run a study where they took lame horses and um, they divided a, a large group of vets into two groups. And one group of vets uh, was blinded. Um, so they basically didn't say anything to them. They just asked them to look at these horses twice. And the other group, they said between the first and the second time that they had to look at these lame horses, by the second time they told them, oh, by the way, we've put a nerve block on that leg that the horse is lame. And then they asked them to look at the horses again. And what they found out is once that group of vets that was told that the horse had a nerve block, when they were asked to look at these horses again, they graded these horses with a lower degree of lameness, even though there was no nerve blocks done on these horses. So the fact that the, these vets were told that there was a procedure done on this horse, on that leg, on that very specific leg, uh, created a, a bias, a cognitive bias um, uh, in these vets to give them a lower degree of lameness. And this really showed that, you know, we as humans are also, you know, the system, the way we quantify movement with our eyes and with our mind is, is flawed. Uh, because 
we are influenced by these external factors. And of course, in this study was the known fact that the horse had a nerve block, yes or not. But there are so many other factors. As you said, um, you know, the relationship we have with the owner or with the horse, because of course, if I know this owner very well and I, I love this horse, I want this horse to get better. And I'm not saying that we are doing this uh, on purpose, but of course we want this horse to get better. Um, Friday's afternoon, you know, if I'm doing a nerve block or, you know, a lameness examination at the end of the day, I'm tired. It's almost weekend. I want to go home. I want to get home to my kids. Of course, um, this will affect our judgment. Um, so there are so many factors that can influence ourselves, And we know, and there's been some research onto this, that, you know, these are some of the factors that affect uh, our capacity to quantify lameness. So this is one of those, it's, we call it the bias effect. And one of the other big ones is just pure limitation of our eyes. So there's also been a, a study done in the UK a couple of years ago where they, they asked vets to look at horses with uh, simulated lamenesses in computer. Uh, and basically what is a lameness? Uh, when we look from a biomechanical perspective to lameness is basically an asymmetry in the movement. Um, and that's what we see. So when we see, for example, a horse with a front limb lameness, we see this, we call it a head nod. So this, the, the head goes up and down in an asymmetrical way. So it falls more on one leg than the other. And when they uh, model these uh, horses and they asked veterinarians to look at these horses, they found out that lamenesses with uh, uh, an asymmetry below, I think it was somewhere between 20 and 25%, veterinarians were just not able to see it anymore because our eyes just can't see such a small degree of asymmetry. So this is the other factor that really affects our capacity to, to see lameness or to quantify lameness with our eyes. This together with the biases and together with some other factors cause this, you know, this uh, difficulty that we have, uh, this native difficulty that we have in seeing lameness. And of course, this is the same for, this is the same for veterinarians, but it, this is the same for, 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 for riders. So there's, there's not a difference here in terms of how good a veterinarian or a rider could become in terms of assessing lameness when we have the same uh, difficulties with our uh, visual impairments that we cannot see this the degree of lameness or all these biases that affect both the veterinary and the rider. So there's nothing to say that, you know, a rider could not be as good or better than a veterinarian look at lameness, but only up to a certain level, because then these limitations kick in and then that's where it becomes difficult. I think it's very interesting to to talk about the the way we see horses very differently and the way they move very differently. You kind of touched on it I think and I, I want to dig a bit deeper because you have a PhD in biomechanics when we look at uh, and stop me if this is going to be too controversial when we look at modern research mm -hmm. what do you see well I think it's a completely um, it's a different stage because of course as as a veterinarian if I'm looking at a lame horse I'm mainly focusing on the upper line of the horse I'm looking at the the, the head I'm looking at the back and I'm looking at the pelvis why? Well, because from these biomechanical studies, we know that if a horse is lame, the, these changes in movement are going to be primarily focused there. So for example, a horse with a front limb lameness, it will have a head nod. It will have an asymmetrical movement of its head. A horse with a, a hind limb lameness, it will have an asymmetry on the movement of the pelvis, not just the up and down movement, but also the rotational movement of the pelvis. We also know from these biomechanical studies that lameness is more obvious in trot than at walk or in tilt. We just submitted a, a study on Icelandic horses and uh, surprise, surprise, uh, 
measuring lameness or quantifying lameness in tilt is very, very challenging. So, you know, trot is the key gate, uh, even for Icelandic horses. But when you are uh, on, on the arena, when you're doing dressage, of course, you're looking at a lot of different things because you're looking at the limbs, you're looking at the, the, the harmony between the, the, the rider and the horse, you're looking at different gates because, you know, walk is one of the highest scored parts of the dressage competition, which has very little information, for example, for a lameness assessment. So it's a completely different game. Uh, and of course, uh, looking at a horse during a dressage competition, you have to look at it with different eyes than when you're looking at a, a lameness examination, because also because a lot of the exercises that we're doing with those horses are by nature asymmetrical. So some of these gates are asymmetrical, the movements are asymmetrical. So you cannot say much about uh, lameness in these horses, especially when you're doing these asymmetrical movements, plus the fact that you have a rider on top of a horse. And this is also quite a lot of the research that has been done by our colleagues at SLU, which is the rider effect on lameness. So for example, during trot, um, as I said, that's the key gate to detect lameness in horses. So what happens if you put a rider on top of a horse in trot, um, especially if the horse, if the rider is posing and it's it's uh, it's sitting on a specific diagonal? So, for example, if if um, if the rider is doing rising trot, and depending on which diagonal the horse is lame, a rider can actually make the horse either more lame or actually sound, looking at the biomechanics of the horse. So the rider has a huge huge influence on the horse from a biomechanical perspective, but also from a lameness perspective. And I think this is also why we we know that certain, you know, and low degrees of lameness, you know, a good rider can really help a horse. And I think they probably, they don't know the biomechanics, the principles of it, of how they're helping the horse, but they realize that they can help the horse if they know what's going on. A good rider can really help a horse just by, you know, doing the right thing. When you talk about the rider sitting on top of the horse, when if we if you kind of rewind and go back to the time where AI is not an option, um, yeah. I've talked to quite a few vets that say that you really need also to put the rider on top to really kind of do a thorough examination on the horse. What is your perspective on that? This is very controversial, um, and this is also this has been going hand in hand with the battle that I said that we've had for for the last couple of years with the introduction of gait analysis in, in veterinary practice, um, because there is there is also there used to be uh, an idea that you know uh, lameness examination was an art, um, and only you know really experienced veterinarians were good at doing lameness examination. And next to it, there are also the, the school of, you know, you cannot do a lameness examination without a rider. I would have to, based on the science that we have and the evidence, I would have to strongly disagree with that. Because there's absolutely, at the moment, no evidence that only certain types of lamenesses will be visible when the horse is ridden. What we know that now is that a rider can increase that degree of lameness and make it more obvious. So as I said, depending on which leg a horse is lame, and depending if the if the rider is doing a rising trot, uh, if he's actually sitting or rising on the lame diagonal, he can really amplify that this lameness and make it more obvious. And this is pure speculation from my side because we do not have the research to say that. I think that is one of the reasons why this this idea has been perpetuated for many years that you need to do um, you need to ride these horses, and of course. Some part of it is also true in very specific cases. 
so let's imagine, for example, a horse with with uh, with back pain, with severe kissing spines, or you know, with a with a pure pathology on its back. And by the time that the rider is sitting on that horse with a saddle, then the horse is in pain. Those cases, I do believe that a rider will help a veterinarian see those clinical signs of either back pain or even with the bit if the horse has uh, dental problems and is having issues with, with contact with the bit and the horse is showing uh, specific behaviors that the horse is just not comfortable in its mouth. Yes, in those cases, you will you will put a rider. But very often, the, the, the horse will come to us already with that complaint that, oh, the moment we put the saddle on, he's already not happy. Or it's just when we, we started having contact with this horse with the reins that he's not comfortable. And then we know, well, perhaps we should look into this horse's mouth or we should have a good feel of its back. So I do not think that all lameness cases should be ridden. And I don't think that you can only do a good lameness examination riding a horse. Also, because now we know how much influence the rider has on the horse, and that makes it so much more complex. And this is when I started this, when I started our talk, I said, well, what is the most important thing about biomechanics? And I said, well, one of the most important things is extremely complex. Well, if you have something more complex and you put another more, even more complex system on top of it, it just becomes an extremely complex puzzle. So my answer will be, in some cases, you might get some extra information from the rider, but in the majority of cases, you do not need a rider. Can I also ask you something you talked about uh, at, right at the start of our talk? How many horses, do we know that? How many horses will be lame uh, at yeah. any given time? Do we have a number? Yes, we do have a number, but there's a there's a caveat to that number. So I'll, I will develop that a little bit more. And I, I often use the, the, the very typical uh, English uh, uh, cliche of the elephant in a room when I talk about this in, in my lectures, because for me, it really is the elephant in a room. Because if you ask me uh, how many lame horses are out there, well, we can talk about the research that has been done and what kind of research has been done. Well, as soon as we started having these gait analysis systems with sensors, you know, researchers around the world starting to do these uh, populational this is epidemiology. So take a large group of horses, measure, find out how many of these horses have asymmetrical movements. There's been a couple of studies, some done at uh, SLU uh, in Sweden um, uh, by our colleagues, uh, Marie Hodin. She's, uh, she's been doing quite a lot of research on that. There's been some studies in Australia. There's been some studies in the UK. So there's actually data from quite a few different countries. And they all come to the same number that roughly two-thirds of the, the, the measured horses are asymmetrical. But now this is what I mean about the caveat. So these horses are asymmetrical, which means that when we measure these horses, we are able to detect a, a significant movement asymmetry. So we still don't know if these horses are in pain or not. And this is one of the big part of the research that we're doing now is we know that sound horses, so horses that are not in pain, they move very symmetrically, or no one is perfect, but within a certain range, we call these reference uh, ranges. We also know that lame horses, they move very asymmetrically. This is what we see as lameness. But then there's a bit of an overlap between these two groups of horses, because we know that some which would be called sound horses will also be a little bit more asymmetrical, and there are lame horses that are in pain that are not that asymmetrical. So there's a little bit of an overlap. So going back to, to these papers, most of these papers have come to around two thirds of the horses have a, a significant asymmetry. And it's for us now to understand how many of these horses are actually in pain. And this is where it becomes difficult 
Because number one is how do you quantify pain in horses? And there are multiple ways of doing this. So for example, again, our colleagues at SLU, they're doing a lot of research with uh, pain face. So they're actually using uh, computer vision, so AI models to actually identify uh, signs of pain uh, in your uh, in the horse's face because there are changes either in the nostrils or in the eyes that can indicate pain. So this is one way. There are uh, pain scales that can also be used for certain behaviors when the horse is, is being ridden, but none of these is black and white. Um, so what are the other options we have? Well, some of one of the options we actually could have is, for example, to give pain medication uh, to these horses. And this is actually one of the studies that our colleagues at SLU did, which is they took this large population of horses that were asymmetrical and they gave them some pain medication. Um, and on the first part of the study, they actually they didn't get better. So they, they, the horses, they, this asymmetry remained. And part of the research is now to try to find out, so why are these horses as asymmetrical as lame horses? They do not respond to pain medication. Is this some sort of motor laterality? So like, you know, with people, they have a choice for left or right. Horses also do have that. We know that. Uh, or it's just a chronic level of pain that we cannot, uh, you know, get rid of with simple pain medication. This is ongoing research at the moment. We are actually at the moment conducting a study here in the Netherlands. We're also measuring a large proportion of horses with both uh, gait analysis, uh, so movement analysis, but also surface EMG which is a technique that we are actually our uh, PhDs and postdocs here in Utrecht are developing at the moment, which is being able to measure muscle activity. And we are finding similar numbers in terms of how many asymmetrical horses we find in this population. So going back to this number of the two thirds of horses, do I believe that all of these horses are in pain that they are not able to do what they have to do? I don't think so. But I do think that a big part of these horses are in some level of discomfort. Now, the question would be, and I think this is where the discussion will take us in the next couple of years, what is acceptable? Because I can have, you know, um, a very, very small um, asymmetry, which is a very, very small uh, degree of lameness that I might have, but should that be a, a career-ending situation for all horses? So what is acceptable? I mean, I have back pain. Uh, I... I, have a, I had an injury on my knee a couple of years ago. I had a motorbike accident. And sometimes I also have a little degree of, uh, of pain, but that's not stopping me from running. I, I, I jog and I, I do exercise and I'm still happy doing it. And I do feel my knee uh, ever so often. Um, but what, what is acceptable and not acceptable? So I do think that also in the coming years, we will also be able to have more um, horse-specific uh, definitions of these levels of asymmetry and what is acceptable or not, because what might be true for a racehorse might not be true for a you know a happy hack that just needs to walk for 45 minutes in the woods and it's not even trotting, and might be something different for a horse that is an eventing that it's doing really heavy exercise or an endurance horse doing 120 kilometers. So I also think that we need to rethink what is acceptable uh, for a horse, but also per discipline, this might differ. Because if you look at, for example, at what is our definition at the moment of fit to compete, that's the same for every horse on the planet, doesn't matter so much what sport it's doing, uh, he's either fit or not fit to compete. And I think as we go on with this research, I think we will find out and we'll able to, to get this differentiation of these two groups of horses a little bit better. 
Um, but I do think that there's still, and not just think, we, we know this from this research, that are unfortunately quite a few horses with subtle degrees of lameness that just haven't been detected and they just keep on going. And these are the kind of horses that perhaps the rider just thinks, yeah, it just doesn't feel right or he's just not um, up to it today. I'm not sure what's going on. And sometimes it takes weeks until uh, this problem is detected, these uh, low degrees of lameness. And this is where I also see a lot of opportunities for us for what we call early detection and monitoring. So we were talking about monitoring horses. So I really hope that in the future, we will be able to detect these subtle lamenesses on a very, very early stage, because we also know that the sooner and the earlier an orthopedic problem, so either a horse with arthritis or a lesion on a tendon, the sooner this is detected, the better the prognosis is, because if we can detect this early, we can treat it as early as possible. We can rehabilitate this horse as soon as possible, and this horse will go back to being fit to compete also uh, earlier. So I really think that, you know, early detection and monitoring of horses and AI will play a big role here and tools like Slape, which will allow us, for example, to monitor horses on, you know, every day, every week, every two days, doesn't matter. It will get us there. And I think that will also be a big part of this uh, welfare monitoring, this passport of horses, if we want to call it, that we will have in the future. Um, I think this will, this will be a big part of what, what, we'll, what we'll have in front of us in a couple of years. This has been such a great uh, talk, uh, Philip. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you very much. I think the future looks looks promising because we're, we're going to get under the skin of the horses in a way and know more about what's going on in there and thus being able to ensure them better welfare. I really think so. And I really think so. And again, I really hope that we can move on this discussion on a um, on a better direction. And of course feelings and emotions will have to be part of our relationship with horses. But when it comes to this discussion of, you know, is this horse fit to compete? Uh, can I ride this horse? I, I hope we are able to at least supplement this discussion with some form of data and some form of evidence. And I really think the future is bright here because there are so many opportunities and the, the possibilities are here. We all see what is now we can do with, with a smartphone and with some AI. I mean, what what is what what we'll be able to do in five years? I have no clue, but I I think we are going on the right direction. I want to end with my signature question, Philip. Yes. What have you learned about horses that you think it's important that everybody dealing with horses should know? They they have taught me a lot, and I think they from all the animals I know, I think they are the kindest animals that we have a relationship with. They really have strong emotions toward us. And I really think that they enjoy the relationship we have. If we look back in history, you will find horses all the way back to the, the beginning of agriculture uh, in, in, in the human civilization. And we are still, they're still among us. With such a strong character, I think horses would have been, could have decided already a long time ago, you know, I, I'm 500 kilo, 600 kilo beast, and you're, you're just an insect just, you know, go away, but they are so kind. And I think they also appreciate the relationship we have with them. So I, I really think they are one of the kindest animals we have a relationship with. And I, I really understand this passion and this huge emotion we have for horses. And I, I really think it's, it's mutual. I think it goes both ways. Thank you for a very nice um, summary of a very interesting talk, Philip.
Thanks for having me, Liv. <laughs> and uh, really good luck with all your remaining research. It's, uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, this, it feels like the world is moving forwards. You have just heard episode 31 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. And if you understand Scandinavian, you will meet Elin Hernlund, one of the founders of the Slype app, a week from now. There we will dive a bit deeper into the technology and last but not least, dig a bit deeper into the welfare perspective. If you do not understand Norwegian and Swedish, however, your next episode will air on November 6th and you're in for a treat, I promise. I want to thank my composer Fredrik Blom, the designer of the podcast Visual Profile, Uwe Hals, and last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for your patience. May the horse be forever with you.